0: Hello and welcome to the Demystifying Media Podcast from the University of Oregon. I'm Damien Radcliffe, the Caroline S. Chambers Professor of Journalism, and in this series I talk to leading media researchers and practitioners about their work and the trends they see shaping the future of their industry. My guest today is Jennifer LaFleur, Data Editor for the Investigative Reporting Workshop, and Jennifer also teaches Data Journalism at American University. As a senior editor at Reveal from the Centre for Investigative Reporting, Jennifer managed data journalists, investigative reporters and fellows across dozens of major projects, one of which was a finalist for the 2018 Pulitzer Prize. Prior to this, she was the Director of Computer Assisted Reporting at ProPublica and Training Director for Investigative Reporters and Editors, also known as IRE. Jennifer, thank you for joining us.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Alongside Jennifer today, we have a, another special guest, my friend and colleague Brent Wolf, an assistant professor here at the University of Oregon's School of Journalism and Communication, a Pulitzer finalist in 2000 and a winner in 2001. Brent's experience includes working as a staff writer and managing editor for Willamette Week, Oregon state Capitol correspondent for the Eugene Register Guard, and as Washington DC correspondent and a senior investigative reporter for The Oregonian. Brent, thank you for also joining us.
2: Thanks for having me.
0: So, um, Jennifer, your visit to Oregon this week is supported by the Catalyst Project, which Brent is one of the uh, leaders on. We'll talk a bit more about uh, that project and how your visit ties into that in a moment. But I really wanted to start by just kind of exploring how did you get into the data space? What kind of drove your passion and interest in this as a form of journalism?
1: So I always wanted to be a journalist, but my family is mostly engineers who were appalled at the notion of journalism as a career. Um, <laughs> so I kind of snuck it in now. a little bit. Um, so my, in undergrad, I studied computer science, uh, snuck in a little bit of journalism and then later got my master's in journalism from the university of Missouri. Um, and it for many years was told by professors to choose one or the other. Or I'd never amount to anything, um, when someone tells me no, I, of course, go the opposite direction as any good journalist does. And um, I found a lot of ways. You know, this was a great way to marry um, my skills and interests together. And back in the day, not very many people were doing this. And it meant I could do stories that no one else could do.
0: And so why? what are some of those stories? And why does data journalism matter? What does it bring to the table that perhaps other parts of the newsroom do not?
1: Well, with With data, you can look at an entire population rather than, you know, a few examples. Um, That allows you to pick and choose some of the best stories. Um, It's primary research. You know, so no longer are we reporting on someone else's primary research, but we're doing our own primary research. And in that, we can find trends and things that we couldn't find any other way. And I don't always believe government reports, so I'd much rather have the granular data behind that report so I can look at it myself and find trends that way. Um, One of the more powerful things we do is matching data sets together that were not necessarily intended to go together to find trends across those data. Um, When I worked in Texas, we were investigating the youth prison system there, and we were able to look at people in the prison and um, whether or not they had workers in the prison and whether or not they had criminal convictions. And many, many of the workers who had the most abuse allegations raised against them also had uh, violent crimes in their past.
0: So it's really interesting that then you've described that tension when you were um, at school between kind of you've got to do computer science or journalism. And of course, we've seen you know a, a shift now where arguably... A journalist with some computer science sensibilities and understanding of, like you said yesterday, you know, if you can do a pivot table in a newsroom, then you're seen as having magic powers. We've asked, I think, starting to see a shift, Brent. Would you agree in terms of how these skills are valued in newsrooms?
2: Yeah, I think they are seen now as essential as opposed to uh, being seen as what a couple of people go off in the corner and do for days or weeks at a time and come back with, you know, numbers or a chart. Uh, it become, had become integrated into storytelling, and I think that's a huge gain from when I first started uh, doing data journalism, which was 1992, and then uh, the only people who were allowed to do it were folks who were given permission to use a computer with a, uh Intel 386 chip, because that was <laughs> as, as fast as it could go. And um, uh, if you were given permission to use that computer, then you could begin to, you know, understand it. But now it's it's essential. It, it's an essential skill. So what do you see
0: as the barriers to kind of greater adoption of this skill and kind of more of these stories, both from the perspective of kind of students that perhaps we're teaching here and then also uh, professionals in the workplace?
1: I I do think there are some newsrooms where unless management understands the value of data in reporting and they're not calling for it, it's seen as like this extra thing in the corner um, where the real reporters want the data journalists to like add a number to their story. but not seeing it as foundational to the very, you know, the very base of the investigation. So a lot of it just comes from newsroom culture, I think. I think there's still a lot of newsrooms where they don't value data journalism and they need more skills. Um, the job listings though, at the investigative reporting conferences, all of them, whether it's an investigative reporter, a beat reporter, data reporter, they're all calling for data skills. Um, part of the issue is that, Data is kind of through, you know used across lots of different skills. So um, there are specializations within data journalism. It's very hard to find somebody who can do everything, you know, can analyze and do an investigation, can build a beautiful um, interactive app. So I think in building a team, what I tried to do at Reveal is build a team that had complementary skills and worked well together. Um, so I had together all the things I needed.
0: And Brent, how do you see this playing out in the classroom?
2: Well, in the classroom, uh, many students come in with some experience, particularly with Excel, and that's a huge step up just to be able to uh, understand how to sort and calculate and and filter data. That those are. The, I was thinking about my own experience here as an undergrad. I took a computer science class programming of all things basic and Fortran, and the idea that you could take a list of 100 things and sort them in a flash, which then was several seconds, you know, uh, always stuck with me. And the fact that that is, uh, uh, so many students come in with that, but I think where, where the intimidation comes and the difficult part of it is, where, where do you find the data? I mean, most people who do data journalism will say, that the last thing you really want to do is build your own database from scratch. Although... Many of us have done that. You want to be able to find it, and oftentimes it's in the hands of government agencies, and it, people there are often very reluctant to want to share it, or they make it very expensive, or they make it very difficult. And as um, Jennifer has pointed out during her visit, and anyone who's dealt with government data know that it's it's oftentimes uh, messy. It's not tidy. It's not exactly the way. It takes a lot of work. So. When we say data journalism, we're talking about all kinds, from scraping information from the web, to making sense of of messy databases, to the the, um, analysis that goes in. And uh, uh, Jennifer also made a really strong point when speaking to students here uh, during her visit, which is in some ways, you you learn what you need to know for the story. The story really comes first. And then you step back and say, how can data help us tell that story? And in, in that way, you begin to build the experience uh, to help you get through that story and then you go on and build on for the next one.
0: And the fact that often this is a, a long and complicated and kind of messy process, uh, coupled with the fact that you know journalists are under more pressure to kind of turn around stories quicker than ever. A lot of journalists still kind of, I think, hold to this kind of mantra that I'm a journalist, so I don't have to do math. How do you overcome those potential uh, barriers?
1: And those people probably aren't going to do database stories, um, the, but some of most of what I work with is investigative teams, um, where if you want to uncover something for an investigation, most of the time those records are in a computer. I sat next to someone uh, when I worked at a newspaper many years ago. We were working on an investigation, and he had 200 boxes of paper documents, and he literally was doing computer analysis with paper. He would make stacks and count them and then make other stacks and count them. And I said, you know, if we get this in a database, we could probably do what you're doing in about 20 minutes. So uh, we ended up getting the data and making his life a whole lot easier. So
0: it's it's part of the challenge for newsrooms. I mean, you talked about needing to help editors understand the benefits of this, but is it also about um, helping them be aware of the tools that can make their lives easier?
1: Yeah, and part of that is if a data team or people who have data skills in a newsroom are in communication with everybody else in the newsroom, you know where they're stuck and you know where you might be able to help them with um, a little thing here or there. And also newsrooms need training, just baseline training so that all reporters can do You know, spreadsheet. That should just be a ground level thing that every reporter knows how to do because we get data all the time. Whether you're covering your city budget, which usually comes in a spreadsheet, census stories. That's all spreadsheet based stuff, and it should be a baseline skill.
2: Yes, it's. It can be very easy in a newsroom to become intimidated by all the terms and the technology, and the. It seems like every six months there's a new, there's there's a new app, but there's a new approach or there's a new language to use. And I think where I had as a, a, a reporter who dealt with data quite a bit, uh, the most success was showing people what uh not necessarily how to um write a particular formula or how to get something to um to to fill into a database as much as what the data could reveal. What you know, what can they show? They can show patterns, they can show exceptions, they can show extremes, they can show you can sort, you can filter. And once you once you help people understand the power of that, then the technical part follows, and I think that's one of the best ways, uh, in my experience, to break through and sort of get people. Then there's then they will come to you and, and they won't say, "Gee, can you teach me how to do this?" Necessarily, but I understand that that this is possible. Can we talk about how to do it? And that makes it much more accessible. But I, I agree with Jennifer. There's there. If people are either intimidated or they just simply don't want to, to learn this, then this, you know. It may not be for them. It may not be for them. It's not for every story, but it, the other piece of it is that data can provide a base or a, a toehold for almost any kind of story. And the notion, as she said, of revealing something, of connecting um, what is otherwise invisible is enormously powerful.
0: Can you both give us some examples of some stories that either you have worked on or that you have read and heard that have done this well, that have kind of really been brought alive by data?
1: Well, there's hundreds of stories that <laughs> yeah. I can think of. um and a lot of it is is not necessarily the story being brought alive by data, but the very story coming to be through data um because a lot of a lot of really great investigations. We don't even know what the story is until we analyze the data to see you know, what other reporting has to be done. The, the data is sort of like the first step to provide the foundation, and that uh, gives us tips on how to go do further reporting. So, gosh, there's so many story, stories <laughs> that um, I could think of. Um, reveal, my former employer just did a, a whole series of stories about um, discrimination in home lending – um, but And it was done by two reporters, one who was on my data team when I was there, who he wanted to do stories where he had to use statistical analysis. And he came in early every day to learn those skills. Um, and he ended up being able to analyze you know, millions of mortgage records and show that there was racial discrimination in many parts of the country and who was getting home loans. And the good thing about that, we talked a little bit about um, – you know, the people, is when you have that data and you have that analysis, you can then go find people from from your data who are kind of best examples of that.
2: Uh, yeah, I, there are just so many examples. There's one that comes to mind uh, quite recently here in Eugene uh, that two of my journalism students put, worked on. Homelessness is a huge problem here. There's a municipal court. that many people believe have basically uh, criminalized homelessness. That is to say, people are being arrested, put jailed for trespassing or loitering or whatever it might be. The local court, to their credit, uh, recognized this as a problem and started to have an alternative court, something called a community court. We won't go forward with these charges if you go through this program and you seek help and you seek services and so on. And they got a very large grant and started telling people, the mayor and city council almost right away, what a great job they were doing. But they had no data uh, to prove it, and they wouldn't give us data. <clears throat> and so uh, students uh, went and built a database by identifying people who had been through the program, looked at how many people were back in court within six months or a year, in other words, recidivism, and then looked back in time and said, well, what was the rate that this cohort? had been in jail or in trouble previously, and there was no change. So two years and $200,000 spent, and there was really no impact on on the court system. Uh, there may be an impact in individuals' lives, but there had not been this grand effort to try to um, help people who were ending up in court quite often. Very powerful. And uh, that was a sort of a handmade database in, in ways. And uh, no matter how much they wanted to tell it, you know, happy anecdotes of individuals who were helped, and I'm sure those were true, uh, a lot of money got spent. And no one was asking these questions except two investigative journalists here, uh, two student journalists doing an investigation here at the University of Oregon.
0: And we, we mentioned a little bit about perhaps some of the institutional and uh, individual barriers to embracing or using data for some stories. um, What about the challenges of how we share that with our audience?
1: I mean, I think compared to when I was first doing this stuff, there are many more opportunities to share this in unique ways and, in fact, putting the audience in the middle of the story by doing interactive maps, doing searchable databases where the readers can actually look up something they're interested in. So I do think we're able to engage much more with readers than we would before. So it's not just a static printed story. So for me, I think I think there's a lot more opportunities for, for doing that.
0: And I think uh, alongside the sort of personalization, I mean, if you think about initiatives like Dollars for Docs, for example, from ProPublica, where you could kind of take here's that kind of big issue and then I can apply what this means to me, you know, on a, on a personal level. But do you think audiences are also more either data savvy or just that you know, they're familiar with and, and more comfortable now with reading and using interactive maps or kind of other forms of data visualization that uh, has become much more commonplace perhaps in our reporting?
1: I mean, I think we're, just, we're all used to, like, clicking around things and, and finding things easily online. So I just think it's part of, like, the natural way most people who use computers, and, and a lot of it is phone now. So a lot of the searchable apps and maps, you know, people are re- using on their phone. So we also have to work to make it accessible on a tiny screen.
0: And for those who organizations and journalists who want to incorporate more data into their work, what are some of the things that they could perhaps be doing better? So mobile responsiveness is a great great example. Of that, but what else should we be looking
1: at and thinking about as far as giving readers data or working on database stories? I think it can be both. Okay, (laughs) (laughs) so I mean, I still think there's a lot more opportunity in newsrooms to use data. I think it's 2019, I would have thought when I started doing this, like everybody would be. Doing data and all their stories. That said, not every story has to be a database story. It just might not be, Um, but there might be ways where data could enhance a story. Um, So I I think thinking early on in a project about the way, if I have a story tip what records or what data is going to help me tell this whole story rather than anecdotal incidents, um, which makes the story much more powerful and actually probably more accurate because the two things I've heard might not be right, but if I can look at all that data, I can show what's really going on.
2: Yeah, I would entirely agree with that. Um, I think that uh, one one way to do it, if you're a journalist or an editor wanting to learn what data can do for your stories, what it can do for your readers, listeners, viewers. Um, I would go to <coughs> investigative reporters and editors, the website, and the, the NICAR, which is the data, um journalism training wing of IRE, and uh, look at the stories uh, or examples online that have been either—there's uh, a database of tens of thousands of stories that were have been put in for contests over the years, and there are tip sheets. And they, these examples can begin to show what the capacity is and hopefully would inspire you to get more training <clears throat> to understand how Excel works or how to scrape data. Uh, which scraping data is, is essentially teaching a computer to go onto a website and gather data in a way that is unusable. Um, but at the heart of it, I think uh, the, the challenge is often to know initially what is even available. Uh, If you've had experience, you've dealt with it, you begin to know that, well, government agencies tend to keep this and they tend to keep that. But when you're first starting out and you don't really know, there are certain questions you can ask. When somebody – you ask how things work. And – what forms have to be filled out, what process have to be gone through, who, who keeps track and who keeps an eye on things. And odds are that's, all, that's going to be kept in data. And the other thing is when people say something to you like an interview or you hear them, you say as politely as you can, well, how do you know that? And oftentimes it traces back to some, some analysis, and often at the heart of that are the data. And as Jennifer has said, get the data. Don't just rely on the analysis. In other words, ask the questions that reveal how people know things, how they track things. And at the heart of that, at the root of that, it's going to be uh, data that you can begin to gather and look at yourself.
0: And Jennifer, yesterday in your uh, talk, you talked about the need to interrogate data just like any other source. Can you just give some examples of some of those kind of interrogative techniques we should be deploying?
1: Yeah, data is inherently flawed, just like people are flawed. And... I, simple simple things like sorting your database to see if like there're realistic ranges in dollar amounts or you know number of kids in a school you know most schools don't have fifty thousand kids, so that might be a, a uh, red flag a red flag that there's some problems with the data because this all gets entered by people and who Oftentimes they're just doing it because they have to do it, and there's not a whole lot of checking of government data. And so there's many things we need to do to make sure what we're doing is as accurate as possible. So I spend a lot of time checking for inconsistencies. Missing data is really important. We had a project the other day where we were missing 112,000 records based on what the agency said should be in there. I'm not going to do an analysis without those 112,000 records. So things like that to make sure your analysis is sound. And then once you've done your analysis, particularly if it's something statistical or more complicated, to bounce those findings off some experts to vet that before you produce the story.
2: No, I would agree with all that. In fact, um, uh, some students are working on an investigative story right now. Are We're anticipating the arrival of some data we've asked for from a local agency. And we're already talking about uh, uh, what can they do to make sure that it's all there, and is it what we is it what they asked for? And so there's a lot of iterations, and I think that's exactly right. Uh, where I have seen huge mistakes in storytelling is when somebody rushes to print because they think they found something in their computer based on the data and they have not checked it have not thought about all the possibilities and look for the flaws but mostly gone back to the people who keep the data and say does this sound right to you does this feel right and that's where you really begin to see the the vulnerabilities
0: yes true so jennifer you've been with us on campus for the past few days uh what are the key messages you want us to to leave with from your visit
1: i have been super impressed with the students here they are working on some amazing stories and all seem really engaged in investigative reporting and data journalism. I met one student yesterday who is double majoring in computer science and journalism. And like me, you know, he wants to, he wants to be able to combine them. Um, And a few folks have told him like he should just go the computer science internship way. And um, I'm, encouraging him to go forth and do what he wants to do, because I think there's lots of opportunities for people with those skills. So very impressed at the student body here.
0: And how do you see this space evolving over the next few years? What excites you about the future for data-driven storytelling?
1: It's a little hard to say, because when I started out, I would have thought it was would be so much farther along than it is. That said, I think what makes this much more accessible today as opposed to when we maybe started doing this, there's so many open source tools that are free to newsrooms that you can do a lot of really sophisticated work without having to purchase expensive software because newsrooms don't have the budget that for that anymore. So um, it makes them much more accessible to lots of people.
0: And I guess, Brent, for our students and for other students who are listening to this, one of the key messages is, this is a space where this is a skill set that people are hiring for and it's becoming increasingly important in newsrooms.
2: Absolutely. If, uh, as, as somebody who hired a lot of staff writers and is a lot of interns in a previous job, uh, if I knew that a young journalist comes in knowing how to work a spreadsheet or how to make sense of data or had demonstrated some use of it before, <clears throat> a huge plus. Uh, the other thing that we we constantly are talking about in the classroom and when students come back from their work in the field is verification and uh, making story more robust, not simply taking the word of whoever you might be interviewing, but demonstrating to the reader and to an editor who may hire you someday that you've done a little bit of extra work to, well, hopefully more than a little bit, enough to make sure that that story feels solid and it's surrounded by evidence. And data can help you do that and help you demonstrate that without being overly about the numbers. It can still be about the people. It still can be about the struggles folks face or the tensions in the community. But having that embedded, an editor is going to spot that. And that, that gives you a, a great advantage going out into the field, but also it builds trust with readers
0: great well thank you both very much for uh, joining us for this discussion today do keep an eye out for jennifer's guest lecture which you'll be able to find wherever you found this podcast and of course we'll also link to it from our website demystifying.uoregon.edu in the meantime it just remains for me to thank my guests today jennifer lafleur and brent wolf until next time thanks for listening If you've enjoyed this podcast, why not check out another from the University of Oregon School of Journalism and Communication. The Listener's Podcast is a show about the craft and power of listening. We talk with media and communication experts, thought leaders, doers and innovators whose ideas can amplify the quality of our dialogue and interactions. Subscribe to the show anywhere where you find your other favourite podcasts and visit listenerspodcast.com to go deeper with each of
2: our episode's show notes. Thanks for listening.